Welcome Fellowship Asheville and those of you who are becoming part of Fellowship Asheville from wherever it is uh, that you are watching from, we are glad to have you with us. Uh, I do want to remind you about our virtual hangouts. You can go to our website fellowshipashville.com to find out more about those. It's an opportunity for us to connect and, and get together over a wide variety of topics. We've got cooking classes. We've added a new one this week that starts this week. This is why I want to highlight it. Uh, it is about uh, the victim mentality that we can have. So it's a discussion about how to not carry an offense uh, and not to have a victim mentality. So if, if that sounds interesting to you, go to our website, sign up for that virtual hangout uh, and see what God shows you uh, in that. I want to ask you a question this morning. Uh, here's the question. Do you feel like you keep hitting closed doors lately? And if so, like, how many closed doors do you feel like you keep hitting? I know I feel like I keep hitting closed doors. Maybe you, maybe you've been laid off or you've been furloughed. That sounds like a closed door to me, right? Maybe you've wanted to hang out with a friend like in person and you've had to settle for a Zoom uh, a Zoom meeting. You had to look at each other on a screen. I don't know about you, but sometimes those screen meetings are beginning to feel like closed doors to me. Have you wanted to go out on a hike only to discover the trail you wanted to hike on is closed? And that feels like a closed door. Or you wanted to go to the store just to be met by a line waiting to get in, and it feels like a closed door. Or when you finally do get in, you've got your grocery list and they don't have everything that you need, and it feels like a closed door. You see, in, in this strange time that we're living in, we keep hitting all kinds of closed doors, don't we? And honestly, I don't know about you, but for me, that can be really exhausting. But y'all, what if, what if there's a way to experience closed doors in a way that was different and fresh and new? What if there is a way to change that frustration that we feel when we hit a closed door, that exhaustion that we feel into experiencing something else? What if, what if we could experience contentment? What would what would that be like during this, this time of the coronavirus? What would it be like to, to be known as a person who's content in the midst of all these closed doors? Well, let me explain contentment for just a minute because it's actually very easy to define, right? Contentment means to be satisfied or to be pleased, right? So it's pretty easy to define. That's it. And although it's easy to define, let me tell you, contentment is this elusive experience, it is easy to define, but sometimes it is really hard to feel because sometimes, here's what's interesting about contentment. Sometimes it's easier to see where contentment isn't than to see where contentment is, right? I'm going to give you a couple of examples for that. Because where contentment isn't, you see these things. Where contentment isn't, you see complaining, right? Because what complaining says, complaining says that something else has to be better than what I'm experiencing right now. That's complaining. You know what else that you see where contentment isn't is you see comparison. Because what comparison says is what you have looks better than what I have. And where those two things are, contentment isn't. And both comparison and complaining have something in common because they focus on what you don't have. In a sense, you can say that complaining and comparison both focus on the closed door in front of them. That's where they thrive. 
because that is all that they see. But what if? What if we use complaining and comparison and comparison to something different? What if we used it as a springboard to something better? What if complaining and comparison were actually used to show us where contentment needs to be? So let's get let's get real here. Right from the beginning of this message, let's do a little experiment. And kids, this is for you too. Don't just think because because your parents are sitting there, they, they're, they're the only ones that have to think through this. I want you to think through this too. Teenagers, I want you to think through this. Where do you find yourself complaining? Like where do you find yourself where do you find yourself complaining about what you don't have or what you don't like or where maybe technology isn't working? Where do you find yourself complaining? What if that's where contentment needs to be? Think about this. Where do you find yourself comparing? Where do you find yourself comparing your life to somebody else's life? Where do you find yourself comparing your stuff to someone else's stuff? Because what if that is where contentment needs to be? Now, as I share all this, who's realizing that you need some more contentment in your life today? I am. Right? And if you're realizing that you need more contentment in your life today, give me a like, give me a little heart on there so I can, I can see what, what it is. I can see who my people are today. Because today we're going to find out how to have more contentment, even in this time of COVID-19. We're going to be in Revelation 3, verses 7 through 13. So grab your Bible and join me in Revelation. And for those of you who are new to the Bible and, and new to, to this thing called church and what I'm doing and preaching, uh, Revelation is the easiest book in your Bible to find because it's at the very end. And when we say Revelation 3, 17, 7 through 13, what it means is you go to the to the part of Revelation at the end, you find chapter three, and then you look for a little number seven, and that's the verse, and that's where, that's where we're going to start. And as everybody's turning there, I want to give you this little reminder about what Revelation is all about. So let's remember that Revelation is all about what? Who? Revelation is all about Jesus, right? And this is important for us to understand, because when we see this book, it's all about Jesus. What it does is it puts all the other stuff in this book into a proper perspective. And today, Jesus is going to start off this passage describing himself. Look at what he says. He says this in, in verse 7. He says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write. Now, if you remember, we're in the part of Revelation where there are seven letters to seven churches in seven ancient cities. And, and this ancient city is actually a name that sounds familiar to us, isn't it? It's the city of Philadelphia. Now, this isn't the Philadelphia we know. They don't have any, any like Philly cheesesteak sandwiches here, I wouldn't think, right? This is the, the ancient city of Philadelphia. It's situated between the, the Black Sea and the Mediterranean Sea in modern-day Turkey. But it still means the same. If you're familiar with what the name Philadelphia means, it means brotherly love. And that's what this city means. Philadelphia means a city of brotherly love. Well, look at how Jesus describes himself to the church that meets there in Philadelphia. In the middle of verse 7, it says, And to the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, The words of the Holy One, the true one, who has the key of David. Now, I want to stop here because, because when you get to Revelation, sometimes there's this language that's confusing. And so when you see the key of David, you might be thinking, what in the world does that mean? 
Well, let me tell you, because it's actually pretty cool. Because you see, David was this king in, in the nation of Israel. He was the most famous king there was for the nation of Israel, I think. Um, uh, he, I'm sure most of you have heard of David. And as a king, he had people that served in his kingdom and people who served in the palace that he ruled. And different people had different responsibilities, much like you would expect. Well, in this kingdom, there was a person who had what's called the key of David. And what this person would do, this person had the authority of the king over the king's palace. And so when you saw the person with the key of David, uh, they could open any door, they could close any door, they even had uh, authority over the treasury. So they were very trusted and they were very powerful. As a matter of fact, in the book of Isaiah, you see this King of David terminology. There was another king called Hezekiah, and he gave the key of David to one of his servants. And that's where you see it. But this servant with this key had the authority to open and close any door. And here's the deal. When you saw the guy with the key of David, when you saw the guy with with the key, it was in a sense like you were seeing the king. Right? When you see the key, you see the king is what this is, is what this is. And Jesus uses this picture because what he's wanting his people to understand is that when you see Jesus, you see God. He has the key of David. He has the power and authority and trust of the king who is God the Father. And so when you see Jesus, you see all the authority and all the power and all that God is. When you see Jesus, you see God. Well, look at what Jesus specifically wants this church to see that's tied to this, this key of David. And he, he says, uh, who opens and no one will shut and who shuts and no one will open. So here Jesus is talking about opening doors and closing doors, right? And opening and, and closing and what he shuts will, will be shut and what he opens will be open. And so why is Jesus doing this in this city of brotherly love? Why in the world is he talking about a key and doors? Well, we'll find out in just a minute. But here's what we need to know. Because Jesus is telling them and us through them. That when you hit a closed door, remember who has the key, right? When you hit a closed door, remember who has the key. Because when you remember who has the key, you remember who closed the door. And if Jesus closes a door and he has all the power and all the authority of God because he is God, then you can trust that that door is closed for a reason. So here's why this is important to the church in Philadelphia that they were writing to. In verse 8, it says, I know your works. Behold, I have set before you an open door, which no one is able to shut. And so there he is using this language about open doors and closed doors again. And he's looking at this church in Philadelphia and he's saying, listen, listen, ladies and gentlemen of this church in Philadelphia, I have opened a door for you and that door no one will be able to shut. So what in the world door is he talking about? Why is this important? Well, look, look at how, look at, look at this church. He says, I know you have but little power, and yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. Now, if you remember, as we've worked through these letters, there's this formula. You know, Jesus describes himself, and then he says what this church is doing right, what this church is doing wrong, how to repent, uh, what happens if they don't repent, and the reward if they do. This church is unique because they're not doing anything wrong. Right, This church in Philadelphia, Jesus has no, has no discipline for them, nothing for them to improve on. He says, you've got a little bit of power, but, but, but you've been faithful and you've been obedient. That their life in this church is marked by obedience. Well, look at what the experience around them is, because that helps us understand 
understand this, this obedience and, and where Jesus is saying, good job. In verse 9, Jesus says, Behold, I will make those of the synagogue of Satan, I'll explain that in just a minute, who say that they are Jews and are not, but lie. Behold, I will make them come and bow down before your feet, and they will learn that I have loved you. Now, here's what's happening in the church of Philadelphia. Here's why all this language about open doors and closed doors makes sense to them and why we have to explain it a little bit here. You see, in ancient Roman culture, the expectation was you would worship a god. Right, Every city had temples in that city. There were temples to, to Zeus and, and temples to Artemis, and, and all, of these, all of these gods had temples. And the expectation was, if you were a Roman citizen or you lived in a Roman city, you would practice the worship of one of these gods unless you were Jewish. If you were Jewish, you were given an exclusion to worship your God. You were still worshiping a God, so it made the Roman it made the Romans happy because they wanted the peace of Rome, right? That was their big motto, the peace of Rome. And if they could keep the peace, they were doing a good job. And they figured if they let the the, the Jewish people worship their Jewish God, everything is good. Well, well, they were free to do that in the synagogue. Now, the Christian church started in the Jewish synagogue, right? That makes sense. Jesus was Jewish, so it makes sense that, that the people who followed him would start in the synagogue. That's where, that's where the early church started. And because of that, there was this freedom then to worship Jesus because they were under the umbrella of the synagogue. Well, what happened in Philadelphia is they kicked the Christians out of the synagogue. They closed the door on them because they said, you are not true worshipers of God. But remember what we just talked about. When you see Jesus, who do you see? You see God. When you worship Jesus, you worship God. And so Jesus is telling them that one day this Jewish faith will realize that Jesus is the Messiah. That's that whole language about bowing down at their feet. And he calls them a synagogue of Satan because they're believing a lie, right? And Satan is the father of lies. And the lie is that Jesus isn't who he claimed to be. The truth is he is, and he is the Messiah for the nation of Israel. And so he's assuring this church that they've got it right, and there is an open door for them. But until this time in the Roman church, this this early church literally faced this closed door of where do we worship? That freedom is now gone. And yet they faced that closed door, and they stayed faithful. Right? They, they still followed Jesus. They didn't scatter. They didn't turn from him. They stayed and worshiped him. And how? How did they do this? Here's how. Because the closed door they experienced was actually an open door by God. Because here's what that means. When God says, I have an open door for you that no one can shut, it means a couple of things. One, it means that God is telling them that they are fully accepted because of Jesus. Right? That's the open door. They, they're, they're, they're not a fake religion. They're not a fake faith. They are a true faith. And, and when they followed Jesus and they said yes to Jesus, they were accepted fully by him. The door is open. But here's what else it means. It means that, that, that their faith moved out of the synagogue. Right, That closed door to the synagogue opened the streets up to them to share their faith and to move what we know as the church out of the synagogue and into the city. Now, I'll tell you, I've got to experience, I experienced something like this, this whole kind of open door actually being a closed door experience here just recently. I would have never thought 
when March started that here we'd be in May doing a virtual church. Would have never crossed my mind March 1st that here we are at the beginning of May doing all of church virtually. We literally had closed doors in front of us. And as we transitioned from making the plans from, from having live services to, to having a virtual service, and we did all that planning in like four days, if I remember correctly, honestly, it's kind of a blur, but I think, I think we made the decision to go virtual on a Wednesday and we were filming on Saturday and, and airing it that Sunday. I mean, it was this huge transition and we laid the tracks to, to move forward into what we have now. But that week, as I was seeing all this data come in and all this, all these, you know, are we going to open or are we going to close come in? All I could see was closed doors, right? Because I was like, who are we going to be if the doors are closed? And, and trust me, you've heard me say the church is not a building, the church is a people. But anytime there's this, this, this paradigm shift in how you do what you do, it feels like a whole bunch of closed doors. And that's what it felt like to me until I was talking to this church planter here in town. And he had no idea he was doing this to me, but, but he helped me see that what I thought was a closed door was actually this incredible open door opportunity. Because here's what he told me. As we were talking about what we were thinking about doing, we're not sure if we're going to do it. What are they going to do? He said this. He goes, listen, Fred, I need you to understand once Fellowship Asheville decides what y'all are going to do, it gives me the freedom to do what I need to do. Because he said, he said, he said, when you make the decision that you need to make, it gives me the freedom to make the decision I need to make. He goes, if you let people stay home, then it's a whole lot easier for me to let people stay home. I hadn't even thought about that. I thought the decisions that I was facing was about me and our church. And all I could see was closed doors. In that conversation, there was this shift that this wasn't about me and my church. This was about a community of churches that could show this city the love of Jesus by humbly protecting them and humbly keeping each other safe. See, all of a sudden, this decision wasn't about me and our church. It was about an opportunity for this entire community and this entire city to see Jesus. Y'all, my closed door became an open door just like that. And can I share with you some, some, some results of that open door, some, some opportunities that have happened? Because y'all, God has opened so many doors for us since those, since the doors of this building have been closed. Even though we don't get together on Sundays, you know, like I said at the, at the beginning, there are people all over the nation that are becoming part of what we're doing here in Asheville. They're becoming part of Fellowship Asheville from wherever they are. I've seen y'all like host watch parties on, on, on Facebook to gather people together virtually so that y'all can watch the sermon together. And I think that's super cool. And, and, and I love this because I did this last week and I love seeing all this stuff pop up. But, but if you are watching from somewhere outside of Asheville, just chime in on the comments and let us know where you're from. Because I'm going to tell you, it's so encouraging for those of us here in Fellowship Asheville just to see the impact that this church is having all over. And so if you're, if you're from somewhere else, just chime in and let us know. And, and y'all just watch as those comments pop up. There may be one, there may be more than that, but just watch and, and, and see. Like that's an incredible open door for us that we hadn't had at the beginning of March. Now there's another open door that we didn't have at the beginning of March either. And we've been able to help families here in this Oakley community in a way that blows my mind. We're giving food away every single day to families who need it. And y'all, 
as a church, y'all are blowing me away. I Let's see, today is Thursday when we're filming this. I think on Tuesday this week, Amy posted on Facebook that a family needed a twin bed, right? And, and I know a little bit about this family. I believe there's like eight kids in the, in the house and, and it's a tight fit. And so they wanted a twin bed. Y'all, I am not kidding. Within 30 minutes, Amy had a bed frame, a box spring, a mattress, sheets, pillows, comforter. She had everything she needed from you, from the church, for this family that needed a twin bed. Y'all, that's some incredible open doors. And you see, here's the secret. Here's the secret to contentment. Remember, we're talking about contentment. Here's the secret to contentment when you're facing a closed door, and it's this. It's don't look at what you're leaving behind. That's a closed door. Look at what you have left. What does God have left for you to do? So let me ask you, are you facing a closed door today? If so, remember who has the key and let that door stay closed. What does God, what do you have left? What does God have left for you to do? What does Jesus have left for you to do? Now, y'all, I'm going to go off script here for just a minute. Um, because I'm going to have a hot take. What's good about putting something on the internet if you're not going to have something for people to disagree with, right? So this is that. So this sermon might be a little bit longer than normal because of this, uh, but it's one of those things today I've been kind of mulling over in my head for a week and a half or two weeks, and I felt like God said it needs to be in here. So here we go. Here's the deal. This whole coronavirus COVID-19 thing um, has exposed even more division in our country between people who want to stay home and stay safe and people who want to open up the country. And listen, I need y'all to understand this is a complicated issue, right? There is no easy answer to this. And so I'm not here to give you an answer to that. I'm here to make sure we're asking the right question, that we're not looking at closed doors, but we're looking at open doors instead, that we're not looking at what we're leaving behind, but we're looking at what God has left for us to do. Because here's some of the conversation that I've been hearing and seeing online is, is we are American citizens and we ask the question, what is our rights? And we fight for our rights, right? Thank you, insert the Beastie Boys for that, right? Like we fight for our rights. That is what an American citizen does. Here's my problem with that. We are American citizens. For those of you who are American citizens listening to this, we are American citizens. And we live in this incredible country where we do have rights. But we are also citizens of heaven. And citizens of heaven ask a different question. Citizens of heaven don't ask, what is my rights? They ask, what is my responsibility? And when you ask that question, what is my responsibility? What happens is in the, in the echoes of your soul, you hear Jesus's words that your responsibility is to love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and then to love your neighbor as yourself. That is your responsibility. And so no matter where you fall on this issue, if you're asking what are my rights, I think you're looking at a closed door. If you ask what is my responsibility, What does it mean to love my neighbor? Now you're looking at open doors. Now you're looking at what God has left for you to do. And so as citizens of heaven, church, our job is to ask, what is my responsibility? When we do that, 
we see the opportunities that God has before us. Ephesians uh, 2, 8 and 9 is this great verse about the gospel, that, that we are saved not by works, but we are saved by grace, and we are saved by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. But Ephesians 2.10 is, is for some reason left off. And Ephesians 2.10 is this beautiful verse about, about how God has prepared good works in advance for us to do. Those good works that God has prepared for us to do is what God has left for us to do. And so for you as, as you, as you live in this season of the coronavirus, as you live in the season of COVID-19, let's ask the question, what does it mean to love my neighbor? What is my responsibility to love my neighbor? Because when you do, you're not looking at what you're leaving behind. You're looking at what God has left for you to do. Now, maybe for you, a closed door it might be something that happened this week, too, with schools deciding not to come back together this year. Some of you are teachers, and you're feeling this sadness over it. The teachers I've talked to understand the decision. They believe it's the right decision, but students, they miss being with you. And this feels like a closed door. Parents are trying to figure out what it looks like for the rest of the year to navigate working full-time and homeschooling and the stresses of all that. And oftentimes it feels like a closed door. But, but let me tell you, that's focusing on what you're, you've, you're leaving behind. The question is, what does God have left for you to do? If you focus on what you've left behind, what you're leaving behind, you'll end up complaining and you'll end up comparing. But what has God left for you to do? What if you look at it that way? What if you see this as an open door? Parents, your chief command is to disciple your kids and to show them your faith and to teach them what it means to walk in that faith with you. Our Bible says in Deuteronomy, it says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your might. And with these words I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children and shall talk of them when you sit, at your, when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise. And so parents, you have this open door to show your kids your faith. And, and, and I know Carol and her team has worked really hard to provide these resources and fellowship kids for you to utilize, do that. All of those can be found on our website and links to them. But you have this open door to be engaged in their education in a way that you didn't have six weeks ago. That's an open door. For those of you who are married without kids, let me tell you about your open door that you have, right? Because right now you're furloughed or you're laid off and you're at home and, and, and you can be experiencing a whole lot of closed doors and, 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 and you get to be home with your spouse. That's an open door. You get to work in the yard together. You get to walk the dog together. You get to do house projects together. But here's what else you get to do together. Those of you who are married without kids, you get to be part of this baby boom that's going to hit this nation come New Year's, right? That sounds like an open door opportunity to me. Those of you who are single, this is a really tough time for you, particularly those of you who are single and live by yourself. The loneliness that you feel may feel like a closed door that you've never experienced before, and I get that. What does it look like for you to have an open door? What is it that you have left? Could it be that this could be a great opportunity for you to, for you to deepen your soul and your faith and your walk with Jesus? Maybe it's an opportunity for you to connect virtually with, 
with friends and family and even reconnect with old friends? What do you have left, y'all? That's, that's the question. What does God have left for you to do? Because you see, here's what happens when a closed door shows you an open door. Here's what happens when contentment is your go-to instead of complaining, instead of comparison. When you focus on, on what's left instead of what you're leaving behind, look at verse 10. It says, and because you have kept my word about patient endurance, right? You have this patient endurance. You know what another word for that is? It's contentment. It's contentment. You see, seeing what you have left breeds contentment. Well, let's look at what contentment breeds in the rest of verse 10. It says, I will keep you from the hour of trial that is coming on the whole world to try those who dwell on the earth. Now, this one requires a little bit of explanation because there's a lot of, a lot of, a lot of speculation about what Jesus was meaning here to the church in Philadelphia. And, and I think he's talking particularly to those who haven't said yes to Jesus. Because there is a time when every human will stand before the throne of God and it will be an hour of trial for them. It'll be an hour where, where they get to declare what their answer has been. You see, they're going to stand before the one who holds the key of David. And the question is, have you seen him as God? Have you seen Jesus as God? Have you responded to his offer of salvation? And when that hour, when that hour of trial comes, whatever your answer has been is what your answer is in that moment. And if you had said no to Jesus your entire life, your answer in that moment is no. Half the reason I do this is for people like you who haven't said yes to Jesus yet. I want you to see him as the savior that he is. I want you to say yes to Jesus, to receive the pardon of your sin and to receive this offer of salvation and to receive this life giving day by day, moment by moment relationship with God. I don't want anybody that I know to come to that hour of trial and say, no, I want you to say yes. And so maybe today is the day that you do that. And listen, it is simple. It is saying yes to Jesus and yes to following him and yes to committing your life to him. See, here's what happens when you do. Your contentment springs from that relationship in that place. Look at verse 11. It says, I am coming soon, Jesus told them. Hold fast what you have so that no one may seize your crown. What I love about this is this church already has their crown. And this crown is a symbol of victory. You see, when you say yes to Jesus, you win. You win. It's this symbol of winning a race. When you say yes to Jesus, you have the victory. It doesn't matter what doors get closed because you have the victory already. You've already won and, and the victory is already yours. You see, a closed door can make you feel defeated. And that's the truth of it. If you got laid off from work, you feel like a failure maybe. You are not a failure. You are a follower of Jesus. And hear me, in Jesus, you are not defeated. You already won. Here's how. Verse 12 and 13, it says, The one who conquers, I will make him a pillar in the temple of God. Never shall he go out of it, and I will write on him the name of my God and the name of my city and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which comes down from my God out of heaven. And my own new name, 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So in other words, Jesus is saying, these people that have little strength will become pillars of strength. And here's why. Because the name of God is written on them. That's, that's how they won. The name of God is written on you. You win because Jesus has won. And so church, let's be a people who don't dwell on what we are leaving behind. Let's be a people who dwell on what God has left for us to do. Because when we do, contentment is what that looks like. Because contentment is knowing it's an open door that God has provided. Let me pray for us. Jesus, you know exactly where we are and you know exactly what we're struggling with. And there are people that are struggling with all kinds of of issues. They're struggling with job loss and depression, and they're struggling with, with family dynamics, and they're struggling with how to balance it all. And, and it's so easy for that to look and feel like closed doors. Jesus, I ask you to do what only you can do and open our eyes so that we can see the open doors you have in front of us, so that we can see the opportunities you have in front of us, and so that we can see what you have left for us to do. And then may we be a faithful people to do it. In Christ's name I pray, amen. Church, I love you. Stay right where you are over here on Facebook um, and we're gonna pop over to a Facebook Live. Just, for, just, just remember at 11 o'clock, the Fellowship Kids Zoom party starts off and then tonight at seven, the FSM uh, Zoom party kicks off. All of that can be found in our weekly emails. I love you. I love being the church with you. I'll see you soon.